Merry Christmas, and may the force be with you, Midnight Warriors. Welcome to War Starts at Midnight, Episode 27. I'm Hunter Cates. And I'm Chris Gallagher. We'll kick off today's Star Wars Christmas Special Special Edition episode with a review of the mid-December indie darling, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Then in special features, we'll discuss the cultural legacy of Star Wars during Examining the Empire. And finally, we'll wrap up the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first, we are joined in the War Bunker today by uh, a avid Star Wars fan, a, a great artist, and a friend of the show, uh, Jason Young. Jason, welcome. Thanks. It's uh, it's an honor to be here in the bunker. And uh, throughout the course of this episode, I hope you don't mind, we will be referring to you as Jan Solo. I hope you're comfortable with that. I would, I'm honored. I, I, ho- I hope I'm not the first one to point that out. Surely you've gotten that before. We'll say it's the first. Okay. We'll say it's the first. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Jason, you are one of the uh, most optimistic Star Wars fans sure, that I know. Sure. Like, you know, one of the reasons I was excited at the idea of having you on the show for this is because you always find the bright silver lining in even the darker sides of, of some of the, uh, of some of the films. Well, actually, and to that point, what do you think accounts for that? That just serene serenity about Star Wars? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I, I remember, I mean, I grew up with Star Wars. Um, my brother, he's six years younger. He and I, I mean, we had bootleg, you know, copies <laughs> that my dad would record on the VHS. Um, so like one of my, I think the first, I think the first film I remember seeing was, was Return of the Jedi on VHS. And, um, I don't know. I think it's just always kind of been a part of growing up with him and, uh, you know, we, we had the toys and all that stuff mm-hmm. and, um, it's just a, it's just fun. It's, yeah. it's, it's good fun. And, uh, you know, say what you will about George Lucas and the characters or the the writing and all that. Uh, it, it's just a fun, it's a fun series. And, and so you think that even the prequel trilogy, we don't have to get into the intricacies, but you were semi-optimistic about those as well. Yeah. I mean, at the time, uh, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of like now, I don't know. I don't know how many people are going to feel about this next trilogy coming up, but um at the time, it's like, oh, new Star Wars. It's been, yeah, it's been yeah. years. It's been decades since, you know, we, so, well, I guess it wasn't decades, but it, it had been a while. Like it's been decades. It had been a while. And uh, so now it's just the, the excitement is fun. And I kind of was going into, especially with, you know, what we're going to talk about, Force Awakens, just knowing that it's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be fun. Yeah. Well, um, much- and, and it's returning to... Uh, even even more than the prequels, because the prequels were sort of like setting up a backstory and that sort of thing. This is returning to like what we really already know, you know, some characters that we already know. And, and that's a, uh, you know, an easy, an easy sell. Absolutely. Now, as Chris mentioned a moment ago, you're a very talented artist and a lot of your subject matter. Actually, in fact, most of your subject matter is geeky things. Was Star Wars your entry point into art? Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, so I actually work uh kind of in the the same space as, as chris does and you as well uh i'm a motion designer and so uh do animation design but also illustration and all those things uh as far as i can remember uh i w- would would draw and so as young as i you know was i pull out my markers and draw on the kitchen floor um so it's always been a part of me and i think 
as like growing up being kind of, you know, creative type kid and liking you know, enjoying drawing, uh, and then also having star Wars kind of in the background, it was just, that stuff excited me, um, and continuing to kind of grow up. And, uh, it's been fun because, you know, in, in middle school, high school at the times, like, okay, star Wars, that's more for my brother. Uh, I'm, I'm too cool for this. But it's fun now as an adult. Like, I feel like it's all right uh-huh. to have, you know, Star Wars toys displayed on my office shelves. And it's a good time it, to be to be alive. It if you're is, a geek. It is, yeah, yeah, you couldn't have gotten away with this 20 or even 10 years <laughs> exactly. ago, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And, and we should point out, you actually brought over a uh, not not an entire ensemble of the The Force Awakens, but a good. I mean, we've got Ray, we've got Kylo Ren, Han, Chewie. Uh, a, a new stormtrooper. We've got Finn over there. And I should be, and I should point out that the stormtrooper has his rifle pointed directly at me. Yes. I just now noticed that. So I bet, yeah, exactly. I better stay on point during this episode. So for those who are unfamiliar with your work, one of, I, I think a perfect injury point for uh, some of some of the art that you do, the fan art that you do is all of this. You've, you've done a lot of star Wars mm-hmm. uh, stuff. Could, could you tell us a little bit about, um, how you started doing that and kind of what you, what you have done. I think you've, you've done a few different, uh, a few different pieces, a few different, some iterations. Yeah. 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 Um, so basically I, I kind of like what, uh, we were talking about earlier, kind of the geek and fan art stuff. That's kind of what fuels me or that's, that's kind of what I use to, as a creative outlet mm-hmm. to, uh, balance the creative work that I do for money. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is more just for fun and, um, I just enjoy, you know, kind of getting into that stuff. Um, so I, at one point, maybe it was kind of when we started hearing that there's, you know, news about Disney purchasing yeah, yeah. from, from George Lucas, uh, for like what, $4 billion or something. 4.03 or something like that. That's that, insane. That poor peasant. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think about that time it was kind of like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I mean, there's a lot of things that could come from this and, uh, it kind of revitalized my excitement for star Wars. You might say it awakened it. It did awaken it. Absolutely. So we, uh, I, with that, I thought it'd be fun to kind of reimagine the original trilogy, like the characters from the original trilogy, the familiar one, the ones we're familiar with, um, reimagine them in a different style, uh, in kind of a little bit more, uh, UPA, like kind of, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more, uh, kind of pop and fun and less realistic, but more mm-hmm. stylized. Um, versions like simplified versions of them yeah the very there's there's a minimalism to it but a very like i don't know thick lines minimal design but really like i'm always amazed at how much you get across with with very little um sort of uh structure to it i guess you know like and some of the stuff that you've done where where you've done a character in like a a scene and I, i love how you know you may not even be using, you know, you may be using four or five colors and you really like, I can, I totally see cloud city as a whole in the background or, or, or whatever. Like, um, there, there's something just really, really nice visually about the way that you, um, you lay all this stuff out that, that I really love. Well, thanks. It's, it's fun. And I mean, all those things came from like, I was just pulling the movie, like watching the rewatching the movies, uh-huh. um, pulling stills and looking at the colors and, um, like just for reference and bringing that into it. And it's just cool to see it still has the same, like, you know, uh, feel and tone, mm-hmm. but in a different style with the thick, you know, outlines and stuff. It, it was just, it was a lot of fun and it was relatively, you know, fast to kind of produce that. I've got a lot that I still have to do or you, feel you've like you've done a do. lot though. I mean, you went through a majority of the original 
trilogies kind of, yeah. and you went, you went through, correct me if I'm wrong, but sort of chronologically mm-hmm. through starting with a new hope and then you yeah. got through the characters there and then yeah. went to empire and yeah, um, it, was, it was probably for each film is uh, probably about 10 characters or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got a new hope empire strikes back and most of return of the Jedi complete. Mm-hmm. Um, but life happens. Right. Right. Now, uh, who should, what's your favorite star Wars, either character or scenario to draw? Oh man, there's so many. I mean, that's the other thing that I love about star Wars. There's so many great moments. I mean, uh, I would say empire strikes back is I've grown to be like, love that one probably the most mm-hmm. out of all of them. But, uh, I would rewatch all three of them back to back, um, a couple nights ago. And it's like, man, they're just, they're all in their own right. They're, mm-hmm. they're unique and, um, they're all, they're all fun. So it's, it's, it's really hard to, to say which one. It's like favorite. picking a pie at Thanksgiving. They're all equally good, but they yeah. just have elements that you like, uh, individually. Yeah. Much easier than, than choosing your favorite child. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I don't, I don't know about that, but, um, uh, so another question is you enjoy drawing Star Wars, but you also, like we said a moment ago, draw all sorts of, you know, geek treasures. So would you say Star Wars is your favorite? I would say so. Yeah. Is there any even distant second, what other uh, geeky things do you like drawing? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say that Star Wars would be my first go-to. There's so, there's so much mm-hmm. you can pull from. Um, it, it's just, I mean, it's a toy box. Of it just, really uh, is. But a ton of, yeah. But your Batman, like his yeah, Michael yeah. Keaton Batman is just uh, astounding. Yeah. Oh, so, we, one, one thing that I would like to direct listeners to, if you're, if you are unfamiliar with Jason's work, um, his Instagram, which you update pretty regularly. I mean, you've, yeah, you've I got, try to, for sure. um, you did, I guess, back in October. You mm-hmm. did uh, Sketchtober or Sketchtober, Ink- Sketch Ink- Inktober. Yeah, Inktober. So I mean, um, same thing basically. Um, where once every day you were putting up a new, mm-hmm. um, and and you was this your second or third year? Second. It? Okay. Yeah. And and this year, the first year, it was kind of um, in kind of in the same style as these these Star Wars yeah. figures. It was like horror characters and that sort of thing. This year, you chose masks. Masks. So characters with masks. And, um, if, if you want to like get an idea of sort of what, uh, what Jason's work is like, I, I would definitely recommend following him on Instagram. It's Instagram.com slash invisible element, mm-hmm. right? Invisible element. So two, two, two e's, words, two E's in the middle. Yes. And yes. before we go warp speed into the review, this isn't a criticism. This is a more just a planting the seed. It could have been me missing it, but I've noticed that there's not a lot of Godzilla pictures in your, in your <laughs> or dinosaurs yes, or dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. in your makeup. Do you think any of those might be forthcoming? Just, just curious. If uh, there was a request for them. <laughs> a special there request. Could be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have someone send you an anonymous email. Okay. About Maybe someone it. from Japan. Exactly. Perfect idea. Hunter hates. If you're out there, if you're listening right now, please send an anonymous email and request that photo. That'd be wonderful. A, a self-portrait, I think, is what it would actually be. Or <laughs> yes, a, exactly. I guess not a self-portrait, but a portrait of yourself. Well, Midnight Warriors, join us as we hop on our dobacks to go back to a galaxy far, far away with a review of Star Wars The Force Awakens. I was raised to do one thing. But I've got nothing to fight for. Nothing will stand in our way. I will finish what you started. There are stories about what happened. It's true. All of it. 
side. A Jedi. While film history is filled with masters of mise-en-scene, I defy you to present one with a unified body of work more fully realized than what George Lucas built with his Star Wars universe. This exacting vision of a galaxy far, far away has captivated audiences for nearly 40 years, and until quite recently, Lucas was the sole authorial voice of all of it. Star Wars The Force Awakens marks many firsts in the film franchise. It's the first new movie in a millennial's lifetime to feature the original trinity, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Leia Organa. It's the first picture to be released by Disney, and it's the first film produced without any creative input from George Lucas. Hunter, I'm rhetorically curious. Papa George built the Star Wars universe from nothing. Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams have merely been asked to maintain it. So how are they doing? Will The Force Awakens spark a new hope in the hearts of jaded Jedi who turn to the dark side following the prequels? Or should we all collectively have a bad feeling about this whole Disney-Star Wars relationship? Well, Chris and Jan Solo, I think that the ultimate jaded Jedi in all of this was George Lucas. And near the tail end of his ownership of this franchise and basically all of his uh, all of his material, I really think that it was just in many ways completing the story he wanted to tell, but also trying to make money to expand Skywalker Ranch. I think he fell out of love. He had a new wing. He wanted exactly. to build. No, I think so. No, I believe he wanted to upgrade his uh, his equipment, and so he made a Star Wars film. I don't even think I'm making that up. But he fell out of love with Star Wars, and I think it needed to be in the hands of people who truly loved and wanted to grow the franchise. And I can't really think of a better person for that than Kathleen Kennedy as the boss mm-hmm. and then hiring J.J. Abrams as kind of the godfather of that. So is the Star is Star Wars The Force Awakens perfect? No. Do I think it's probably being a little bit overrated by critics and fans? Maybe. But as far as what it needed to be, I couldn't be more pleased. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to argue with that. What about you, Jason? I, did- I agree. Um, it was... It was it was fun. It was a great great ride. <laughs> well then, well then, great ride. Let's start at like the very start of the ride. Were you excited whenever Disney purchased Lucasfilm? That the very first that moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, the prequels. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it, and that's that's honestly like it was one of those things where when they purchased it, it was you know absolutely no idea where this is going, but it felt like it felt like a way out of something that I thought wasn't possible until. The like I, I hate to say this, but until George Lucas passed, like oh, it no. felt like. Uh, I mean, really, are though, you like, sure he wouldn't have been like a Jedi ghost hovering over the, whoever the next person well, was? Well, it, it would actually be his young nineteen seventies Jedi he ghost. Would, yeah, he'd be replaced by Hayden Christensen <laughs> after the fact, and he would still look sad. Yes, <laughs> but you know, it, it was one of those things where it was like the unknown was better than knowing that it wasn't going to 
ever be touched or expanded in in any significant way that was going to recapture what those first three films did. Yeah. And so Disney's not going to spend $4.03 billion on something without wanting a new Star Wars franchise. That would be madness. So my initial reaction was, well, of course, there's going to be a new trilogy, and that's fine. You know, I like Star Wars. But that first trailer, that's whenever I got on board, so to speak, and mm-hmm. I said, wait a minute, this, this could be something good. But you would say, yeah. Jason, that you were – like a hundred percent enthused from the very beginning or did it go in stages? I would say probably a hundred percent. Yeah. Like as Chris kind of spoke of, like I can, I can be forgiving of some things. Um, and I, I still, you know, like the prequels, I enjoy the prequels for what they are for the continuation of the star Wars. You can, saga. you can pick and choose the pieces yeah. to, to make it all fit. Yeah. You can I always, mean, you can always skip through different chapters yeah, and exactly. just watch the best parts. And yeah. then, uh, and as compared to Jason, then Chris, uh, you even wrote an article about it. It took a while for your yeah, enthusiasm it, to awaken. It, it took a long time. And, and on, I mean, it was one of those things where when the initial Disney announcement was made, I was just, I was happy because it meant something. Mm-hmm. And then when they announced JJ Abrams, my heart kind of sank a little bit because, Following Star Trek, the release of, of his Star Trek film, I actually thought this this was my my feeling at the time, like not even thinking forward to like an episode uh seven, eight, nine, but thinking like if someone like JJ Abrams in in his current current Star Trek state could somehow go back and remake the prequels. And actually like that that was that was <laughs> yeah, where exactly. my my mind was was like and make us give us a backstory that's not just like the because it, ultimately they all felt like exposition that sort of thing mm-hmm. and he what he did with Star Trek was very interesting in that he kind of said okay you fans like I'm not going to totally neglect you I'm not going to like throw you to the side but I'm also going to create something di- I'm going you know I'm I'm going to spin it up a little bit differently and so I imagine that's what he would do. And ultimately, I think I think that's what we get with The Force Awakens. He he does a really good job of giving fans sort of what you what they're going to expect um, and and then also moving uh, moving the yardstick forward in like saying we're going to also explore some different territory. And to that point, there's better directors out there than J.J. Abrams, but I cannot think of a person better for this assignment than jj abrams certainly not working today you're, yeah. you, you're probably right i i didn't think so at the time because we had between between then he had and gone now, into darkness literally and figuratively <laughs> he had yeah he had done he had done super eight which was um i think even for me worse than into darkness just in that super eight felt like him doing pulling out all the stops in just making homage mm-hmm. and and it's not you know making homage to a certain film it's all making homage just to the work of steven spielberg and so that's that's really the the biggest thing that gave me pause when um he finally was announced is like well are we just going to get something that is just like i love i love star wars so much i love what george lucas did with star wars so much that he can't get out out of the way the world's biggest fan film yeah but um we kind of talked about this a little bit with our mission impossible review is J.J. Abrams, of course, did Mission Impossible 3, and his visual and stylistic template was set mm-hmm. from and that it, film. And it was kind of a course correction. And it, for, well, it was course correction, yeah. and it was maintained for the next three films. So I think his experience in television being a showrunner, mm-hmm. that was ideal for this, because with this film, he's not trying to make the best Star Wars movie ever. He's trying to establish the new 
template for what the next three pictures and then also the anthology pictures will be. Yeah. So like I said, even if there are better directors out there, he's the best one to kind of say, this is what it's going to be and I'm going to oversee it throughout. So we've, we've talked a bit about Abrams. We've talked a bit about Kathleen Kennedy. Just just a little, let's talk about the movie yeah, itself, let's actually the get story the itself. Um, what did you guys think of, I mean, at its core, this is really... I mean, it's sort of a New Hope rehash. In, yeah. in Well, and I was curious about that, and I'll throw this out to both of you, because as uh, Chris has pointed out off mic, there's already been complaints about fandering, mm-hmm. as, the, as the phrase goes. Did it bother either of you that this was very reflective of a New Hope? Yes and no. Like, I like it because it's, it's cool in a sense, kind of what we were talking about, you know, J.J. reimagining what Star Trek could be. Mm-hmm. So seeing how some of the same themes that were running through the original trilogy – kind of paralleled in this film. It was cool to see how they kind of mirrored one another. But also, like, man, do they really need basically a third Death Star? Like, the first two blew yeah. up, and that didn't work for them. Well, let's, got... let's 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 be fair here. It's a Death Planet. It's, yeah. What did they call it? The Star, Star Killer. Killer? Yes. Yeah, Star Killer base. Which apparently, like, I, I was talking with a guy yesterday who was a big, like, expanded universe, you know, books fan. And apparently, there is a Star Killer, but that's actually a sun sucker or sun kill like they they apparently mixed up some some things mm-hmm. and so there's there's at least a small pocket of fans who are really upset with like contextually getting things things wrong which i think is with with star wars probably even more than star trek like that's a tough place to to play because you're going to step on somebody's toes by kind of borrowing little pieces but reinventing um, I mean, for me, you you know, Hunter, like how I feel about... That's what I was just um, getting ready to ask, because even when in the Jurassic World review, did you feel that it was cynical manipulation, or did you it's, buy into it? Um, I, I'm, I would say 75% buying in, 25% uh, kind of veering back. And just to compare it to Jurassic World, and I do not mean to, to try to beat down Jurassic World any more than I, I already have, but... Um, there were, there were moments, particularly like when I think of the, the fandering in Jurassic world, I think of the, the scene where they go back and find the Jeeps. Yeah. And I feel like, like that just felt like it was only there for fans. Mm-hmm. Like it, it didn't like really serve any purpose beyond that. And in general, well, it could have been a Mikey on scene. Then we could- <laughs> <laughs> the, the Mikey on <laughs> slash old Jeep scene. Those were also the best parts of the film. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can find a best part of the film, I, I mean, Hunter, Hunter can find yeah, like twenty of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Refer back to the Jurassic World episode for my feelings on that picture. Um, but I, I didn't feel like this ever got there. There are, there are some times. I mean, I think the closest for me is like whenever they throw out a like. I think somebody says I've got a bad feeling about this, or you know, they throw out lines where it's just kind of like, mm, I mean, it's it's it didn't work for me. Yeah. Or there's a there's a moment where I think Finn comes up over over a ridge and it's like the exact framing of the most Eisley, you know, mm-hmm. Ben and, and Luke and the droids on that, that cliff looking off at most Eisley. And it just felt like the, it felt a little unnecessary. Like it didn't. And ultimately it's like, you know, five seconds. So it doesn't like yeah. ruin anything, but it, it was kind of a little, um, it, it was a little too saccharine, a little too, a little too sweet for me to the point that like by the end I was a little, you know, I, I was getting a bit of a stomach ache, but ultimately I still like, I enjoyed consuming it 
while I was, right. you know, it was, it was just barely the right amount. And I will say this, and this might be a new threshold in Hunter's ability to justify these things, <laughs> but the entire, the entire Star Wars uh, uh, saga has been the idea that history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and, and that's, that's kind of what I think was going on here is, could you make the case that it was just shameless nostalgia? Yeah, you probably could, but at the same time, within the context of the story, what they're saying is that it, within this galaxy, within our galaxy, mm-hmm. history repeats itself. That's yeah, true. and and that's and that's true, and I I really like that argument. Just to play devil's advocate, I saw it was actually the afternoon before I I saw it, and I was trying to avoid things, but I saw Devin Faraci arguing with somebody on Twitter about they they were basically defending it, saying. Um, you know, the movies are have always been about homage to other other things. And Farachi's reply was, well, yeah, they were about homage to other filmmakers. These are all making homage, like inward, inwardly facing homage. So I and I, I don't think you can really argue against that, but I don't think it's it's as bad as it could be either. Well, and yeah, exactly. It's not as bad as it could be. And then I would also argue that uh, it, the, well, the thing about this is it was not just homaging, but it's referencing the original trilogy. They were trying to make a movie honoring that for the next films. I would really like them to go back to the classics, go back to Joseph Campbell, go back to mythology, mm-hmm. kind of go to that place that George Lucas was with the original trilogy, okay, this, as opposed to just referencing the original films. And, and okay. I think that's a great setup for something that I really wanted to talk about. Um, I mean, there's, I, there's, I think a lot to talk about with characters. Can we start with Kylo Ren? If, yeah, sure. If that's okay. So I think, um, and let's just throw out, I don't know when, at some point we're going to get into some spoiler territory. So we're assuming at this point, uh, if you're listening, it's it's been out for a week. We assume you've seen it or you just don't care enough to see it. Yeah. Um, but Kylo Ren played by Adam Driver. First of all, what did you guys think of, of Driver in this in this role? You know, he's not pretty enough to be Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher's kid. <laughs> yeah. But, other, but uh, as far as performance wise, he did very well. Well, yeah. there's there's that. Uh, yeah, I thought it, I thought he I think he passed. It. I mean, there were a lot of, of, of things I really liked about the duality of him trying to be. Mm-hmm his grandfather. You yeah. Know. Well, and, and here's the thing is to that point about being his grandfather, he's kind of a millennial Darth Vader because yeah. he throws oh. a temper tantrum okay. every time he that. doesn't okay. give his first, way. First of all, I can't wait till this is available on, you know, like mm-hmm. Blu-ray just because I'm going to make so many angry gifts, like a reaction <laughs> gifts of him just taking his lightsaber to no. stuff. Um, so true. But, but yeah, but some of the best moments of the movie yeah. are, are that. But yeah. I think, I think he did what Hayden Christensen couldn't do and what that Anakin Skywalker in the, in the prequels couldn't do act where, well yeah. act, but <laughs> like even, even that character, even the way George Lucas wrote right. the Anakin Skywalker character was this very, like he was just emo and he was just like, Oh, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm powerful, but I'm angry. And like, it's Kylo Ren has all of that, but there's also depth to it yeah. where you can actually see an internal struggle. It's not just like, I mean, there's moments, uh, particularly I, I always think to, uh, in Attack of the Clones, mm-hmm. when Hayden Christensen, at, at some point he's having, Anakin's having a conversation with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he, I don't know what the, what exactly it is that he says, but it's something, something like, oh, but I don't like it, master, I don't want to, you know, it's just this right. like real, like, grow up, you like, I don't, I don't relate to you at all. I don't have any um, you just want to sort smack of the, You just want to smack the hell out of him, not yeah. be terrified and, of him. And here, I feel like Kylo Ren goes beyond that. There is a, like, when he first takes the mask off, that's a great reveal of, like, 
oh, okay, there's nothing wrong with him. He's desperately trying mm-hmm. to make homage to, at this point, we just know he's trying to make homage to Darth Vader. Then you, like, soon after realize he's trying to, like, almost, he's trying to connect with his grandfather in a right. way. Like, okay, so, yeah, there, there's your spoiler. Uh, so, well, you already gave it away. I said grandfather. Oh, you said grandfather. Well, but, but you okay. said Carrie Fisher and... and oh, uh, okay, then never mind. Okay, he's so trying we're, to be his grandfather, yeah. Uh, but, you know, and, and so there's something really nicely poetic about that, and I think, I personally felt that Driver pulled it off. You know, he's got, I was worried initially um, when I found out that he was playing the Sith Lord, because I really like Adam Driver, but this is like a very stylized sort of um, sort of world in general and, and character. And he's sort of like he's not quite quite Christopher Walken, but he has his own cadence. You know, like anytime he's quirky and low key, any, yeah. anytime you see him, there's just this like he he just takes control or, or John Malkovich even maybe. And there's still a little bit of that here. But um, I I don't know. I liked him. I thought he pulled it. It's off. interesting because he so. They're trying, he's trying to come across as a Sith Lord, but yeah. he's not a Sith Lord. Yeah. Like he's trying to be Darth Vader. He's trying to, I mean, I love when he's got the, the, the you know, his mask on and he's just walking down, um, you know, into the Star Destroyer and he's doing his business, whatever he's doing, but he's just so calm. And that's so reminiscent of Darth Vader. Like yeah, yeah. you don't see him, um, you know, Darth Vader, he's always cool when, they lose, you know, the, the heroes get away and they escape multiple times throughout the trilogy. Yeah. He just turns and breathes and walks away and everybody's like, oh, yeah. no, it's we're like in trouble. He's, he's the dad. Like, he doesn't have to say anything. You already know that right. he's disappointed. But, but Kylo thing. Ren, he, he's acting that way in some scenes. But mm. then, like what we were referring to, when he gets angry and you see that immaturity yeah. come out in rage and he just like goes off with his lightsaber like that was that was great because it, it tells you mm-hmm. that he is immature. He's trying to be what maybe he's not called to be. Well, yeah. And, and so to, and to that point, what made Darth Vader cool and intimidating was that he didn't get upset. Right. What makes Kylo Ren cool and intimidating is that he's like Joe Pesci and Goodfellas. You don't know when he's going to lose yeah. it. You don't that, know what he's going to do when he does yeah. lose it. That, that's a good, that's a good comparison. Now, but, um, I would, now I, I already ruined it for those of you who are not clever enough to figure it out. Uh, Kylo Ren is Han Solo and Leia Organa's child. Uh, did you all kind of figure that going in and how'd you feel about that once it was confirmed? I, I had a feeling, but it was like a feeling that I pushed really far down because I just didn't want to, like, I didn't want to, like my, my whole approach was try not to dwell. You didn't on even want to spoil it for yourself yeah, with fan exactly. theories. Um, I, I like it. I like that, um, that story and what it, what it brings. I like it in theory, but also it's like, man, is it, does it really matter? Does he have to be, of the lineage. And I mean, I guess he kind of does because he's got to have the, the, the ways of the force, but still it's like, man, are we trying to tie too many things? I mean, the galaxy is enormous. Are we trying to tie too many things together? But you're, you're kind of sounding like me now. You're, you're sounding like, like when I heard that the original Trinity was mm-hmm. going to be in this, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. But having said that, it's, it's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it really honestly all depends on, what the full arc of this is because yeah. we have to, I mean, this is generally, I would not say this, but it is star Wars and we have to approach it as a first chapter in a three part mm-hmm. piece. And and to, and, yeah. And to that point, this movie was very much not solving everything. It was still right. leaving things to be answered later on, but which I, I would, appreciate it. I would argue it does the, you know, empire, to I think most most adult fans is the one that really like 
that's where everything clicks. And I feel like we kind of, and then, and then Jedi is sort of dealing with the repercussions of, mm-hmm. of empire. I feel like we get to that point here so that we can spend yeah. two movies um, going and really exploring a lot more because I mean, you don't even find out that uh, until the end of empire that uh, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. What? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, we find out that, that he is Han and Leia's child. We get some other things um, that, that really kick things into motion. And, and, you know, that the ending of this movie feels like that big chapter mm-hmm. mark that we wouldn't get um, that we didn't get at the end of the first Star Wars movie, right? Yeah, and the and the end of this film deserves more discussion. So let's let's poke let's yeah, put a yeah, pin yeah, into it for, for it later. But um, I'm going to back up a second to something you said, Jason, and then Chris, you kind of confirmed. Uh, I actually disagree with that because I'm of the opinion that the main Star Wars films, not the anthology films, but the main Star Wars films, are ultimately this giant war film, but focused in on the Skywalker family. Yeah, Do you all agree or disagree with that? It, it is. I mean, they've, you know, kind of, you've heard Kathleen Kennedy, JJ mm-hmm. Abrams, Lawrence Kasdan talk about that. Like we're really focusing. It's about family. So I, that's why I'm kind of like, okay with tying these people together. I mean, mm-hmm. is Ray going to be a cousin? Is she going to be a sister? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's, let's just go right I into mean, we're that. Already, I, uh, just, just to quickly answer. I, I agree now. I like now mm-hmm. having seen the film, I agree. And I'm fine with it. It was so much of my apprehension was the fact that like what happened with the prequels was so handled so sloppily and it was made only to serve the, like, let me show, let me continue backwards what, what we've seen. And so I was afraid it was just going to be like, Oh, Hey, let's, let's show them on new adventures. And this is really actually saying like, when the Ewoks were dancing on, on the moon of Endor, it wasn't all solved. Yeah. And, and something else, even maybe even more insidious, came and Darth Sidious, you might say, was <laughs> something even worse. But like we talked about a second ago, uh, again, the prequel trilogy was made because George Lucas wanted to install an even bigger pool or something. <laughs> yeah. He wanted a new uh, state of the art jacuzzi. Um, okay, so the new trilogy, Ray, Finn, and mm-hmm. Poe, how do we feel about those three? I, I love them. I think Ray was amazing on screen. I think she she carried it. And I think that if you didn't have the Trinity, the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. in this film, they would have still been able to carry it. And I think it would have been as powerful, if not even more. I, I agree. I would say the only one that I'm still on the fence about, which is weird because had you, had you pulled me before, I would have been like Oscar Isaac is a dead, like ringer. Like, and I just, I feel like Poe just doesn't get a lot of screen time mm-hmm, here. Right. And his first scene to me was a little wooden. Like it yeah. was, it was a rough, like I, I was legitimately worried at, at, at that opening. I was too. Um, and I, I think he was fine when he, you know, comes back, comes back later, but, um, Finn, yeah, Finn and Ray, I mean, are really interesting characters. And I think, um, they're, you know, they're creating this new Trinity, but they're not just exactly cookie cutters of here's your Han, uh, here's your Luke, yeah, here's yeah. your Leia. Yeah. It, it's sort of, uh, you have, you have those elements, but they're, they also have new characteristics well exactly because ray is ray's kind of an amalgam of them all really mm-hmm, the yeah. original trilogy all in her um but so the original uh films made a made household names out of those three and then made a huge movie star eventually out of harrison ford do we see these three becoming either a household names and movie stars and if so which one becomes a movie star do you think 
I mean, I think Daisy Ridley, like she's, she's the obvious shoe in. I think Boyega is amazing as well. Um, I, I mean, really, I think Oscar Isaac, well, not a household name. Like he's, he's already kind of, yeah, he's, he's on one of those guys up, yeah. that he's, if you look over his filmography the past few years, like I, he kind of feels like he's in the place, uh, Michael Fassbender was like two, mm-hmm. three, four years ago where it's like every like other month you have something new coming out with him. Um, so he's, he's getting a lot of work mm-hmm. and, but he's been also mostly sort of supporting roles, which I mean, he still is here. Yeah. Ironically, I, like you said, Chris, um, I think Poe was the one I, I didn't like the most, but I think Oscar Isaac out of the three, who's most likely to be a quote movie star. It's him. Yeah. That might've been. Well, and we've seen, anyway. we've also seen the range that Oscar Isaac has too, from yeah. being the, the boyfriend in drive to being Lewin Davis to like all of these, to, to being in, in ex machina this year. Like, I don't know if either of you mm-hmm. have seen that, but um, it plays a really interesting dynamic character there with Donald Gleason. Yeah. Now, so far we've, I'd say we've been gushing pretty solidly. Before we get into spoilers with a capital S, the big, the big, big, big spoilers, uh, let's talk about some things that we didn't really dig. Was there anything that didn't do much for you guys in this film? There is one scene that felt like it was kind of slumping for me, and that is when uh, Han Solo and Chewie enter the Millennium Falcon, and then those two gangs come and, like, try to get the – like, it just – it felt like – to me, it almost felt like it was out of a different movie. Like, it it was – kind of sort of maybe trying to do like the, uh, the crater thing, like there's creatures and there's, but it, it just, I don't know. It didn't do anything for me. Yeah. I would say, I mean that being on that freighter and the two gangs, I mean, it was cool to see that he's, you know, making the point that he's still smuggling or he actually has gone reverted back. And that's the initially, like I thought, Holy crap. Like we're taking, uh, we're taking on solo and we're going to almost do like a, um, Norma Desmond thing with him and from Sunset Bowl. You know what I mean though? Like um, there, there's this, like he's still smuggling. He's still like, after all of this, you would expect that he's kind of right. living, living the high life and he's doing the same thing he always has. Okay. And, and he's aged, which no, I love, I love that this, this felt like the real, this felt like a more real Han Solo than even return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read somebody on the internet say that in return of the Jedi, he was just too sweet and syrupy. Well, this I think- was Han Solo from, Empire and New Hope. I, I also think that at Return of the Jedi, Harrison Ford was kind of pissed about the yeah. way things played out. And you kind of get that in the performance. Whereas here, he seems, you know, I'm sure he was very happy with the way things were going to play out. Yeah. And so he just like, I mean, it's maybe my best Han Solo performance ever. Yeah. Like, he's just on it. No, this this role absolutely fits him like a glove. And so I was happy to see that because he's always been my favorite movie star. And even Indiana Jones wasn't mm-hmm. very good. So it's been disappointing the past Ten years or so. You mean King of the Crystal Skull? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah to, to clarify, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Yeah, I hated Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Jason, how would you feel about being the new co-host? Of yeah, exactly. I'm here. <laughs> uh, so, um, what about Snoke? How'd you all feel about Snoke? I don't know. It's uh, that's. I mean, that's my entire did, answer. I thought really. he was pretty Lord of the Ringsy, and that yeah. bugged me. Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter, Lord of the Ringsy fantasy. Oh, yeah. not, well, only not, couple couple letters off of from Snape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm glad. So one of my reservations, so, you know, like I said, I've kind of followed like some of these uh, stories before it was released. And there was talk about uh, Snoke being this giant because when, when Andy Serkis, he had an interview and he was mm-hmm. talking about actually being hoisted up like, you know, 20, 40 feet in the air, delivering the lines then um, that scene to, uh, to them and, you know, had like this really bellowing voice. And I was like, is he really going to be a giant? Cause that would be, 
that would be disappointing because that yeah. giants don't fit in star Wars. Yeah. It, it's not that sort of fantasy. So when I saw him and he looked real, I was like, this feels like Harry Potter. This does not feel like star Wars. And he kind of looks, it doesn't look like star Wars to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the end of that scene, when you realize it's a hologram it disappears, mm-hmm. like, Oh, thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> the relief. Well no, I, I, I felt that exact sort of sort of thing, but you know, I, I'm still not sure. Like he's really one of the unknowns for me. Um, I, I feel like there's, I don't know in, in the original trilogy, you didn't really explore the Sith too much. The prequels you did, but it felt like there was no story. It was just like this gelatinous, like, ah, oh, the, the Sith Lord, always two of them and this. And so I'm curious how much we're going to dive into that. If he's just going to be like a Emperor Palpatine, like dark overlord sort of, sort of figure or if there's yeah. something else there, if there's something else, some yeah. internet theorizing has had him be that he's actually really little. And so I think it might be interesting if he's a dark Yoda, that might be a cool huh. way to go with it. If he's an evil Yoda, but anyway, um, one part that didn't work for me and I'm getting ready to make a potentially controversial remark, but what didn't work for me in this movie was the musical score. Oh. I agree. I hundred percent, not the whole way through. No, the new stuff, anything new felt really weird and too modern and felt like it, it didn't way, way with. understated and subtle. This is something that needs a rousing score or needs a really almost angelic mystical religious score. The force stuff didn't really, it, di- it didn't feel like avatar music, for instance, <laughs> even if avatar sucked, the music was great. And then the battle scenes didn't have the rousing, new hope sound to it. I mean, I think the stuff that's riffing on the original John, I mean, John Williams did this as well, but the original John Williams stuff I was fine with, but there was particularly in the beginning, there was some stuff that just, it didn't, it didn't feel like star Wars. I mean, it certainly didn't feel like star Wars following Jedi. Like it, it felt like this weird, more modern sort of take. And, and if anything, I feel like the world that we're in now is more distressed and destroyed and lived in. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know, there, there, there were just a lot of moments that I would have to agree, like didn't follow. Yeah. What John Williams knew in with the Indiana Jones trilogy and Star Wars is that this is meant to be an old fashioned 1940 style serial. And so we had big bombastic emotional music with this. Like I said, it was a little too subtle and understated. I felt well, even with what he did with, cause I don't think he did all of Harry Potter, but he did the classic Harry Potter, mm-hmm. um, little melody and I, I think you don't even have that with the new stuff. You don't have anything that you can, you can hum or whistle, you know, sure. it, it just yeah. sort of, it's just background noise. But also, I also, that's kind of how I see this film. I mean, we're really setting up for the next two mm-hmm. because this is where hopefully we kind of transition and really are focusing on our new Trinity and the old Trinity may play, still play a part. Yeah, I, but not I, as I, well. I, I get a feeling that one of them won't play much of a part, and one of them will play a much bigger part. All right, then, yeah, let's okay. let's go ahead and get into that. Um, it's amazing how a moment in film can be simultaneously obvious and shocking. And I told both of you this before we even started recording. Had we done this even a few hours ago, I was still in a very dark place. I was so traumatized by the death of Han Solo. How how did you guys how did that hit you guys? Well, let me let me ask you this, Hunter. You're you're a known Sith on on the show. Yes. Um. Are are you thinking about using your powers to bring him back from the dead? Because that's ultimately why Anakin went to the dark side. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to give in to the hatred and the anger <laughs> and become a Sith Lord. I'm so upset about Han Solo dying. Even though here's one of those things. Whenever it was about to happen, five minutes before it was going to happen, I knew it was. My uh-huh. heart was beating the whole yeah. time, and it had 
Kylo Ren who killed him had he said, okay, dad, you're right. And then they hug it out. I would have been like, that's terrible. It, been awful. it had to happen, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean I have to like it. Okay. Right. And that, it was painful. That's fair. It, it was painful. It was, I mean, it, I mean, Jason, how, how did you feel? Like, did, did you see it coming as a, yeah, okay. again, my oh. perspective is different because I, like I said, Consumed I enjoyed, yeah, over the last okay. year and a half or so listening to different theories and thoughts uh-huh. of what might happen, parentage, et cetera. Um, and the death of, yeah. of Han Solo being one of them. Um, I thought it, I thought it worked. Yeah. I was still, like you said, you knew it was going to happen. You kind of just like, Oh man. Okay. How is this going to play out? Uh, and I thought they did a pretty good job where it was obvious. Yes. For somebody, maybe like a younger viewer who wasn't quite sure, you know, you're trying to read Kylo Ren and how he was responding. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, maybe he is going to turn good or maybe he is going to go with his father. Um, and then he's like, you know, will you help me do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, well, and that's just terrific acting on both of their yeah. parts. One thing that's too bad, though, is I would have loved it if uh, Han Solo's final words in life had been looking at his son who had just killed him. And then he said, I love you. Kind of like that classic (laughs) Empire Strikes Back exchange. That that would have been an okay. uh, I know. Yeah, exactly. And then and then he falls to his doom. And then Chewie flipping out. I mean, it it was just a marvelous scene. Probably the best scene in the movie. But at the same time, you know, it hurts. I like. I gotta say, for me, I'm maybe I'm just a little less sentimental. Like I, I definitely feel the loss. But at the same time, it was like it so needed to happen. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited that they did it because it meant that they are setting the stakes. They're setting the bar for the stakes that high, that early. I mean, this is sort of what I was alluding to earlier. Like there is, there are going to be repercussions for this. Definitely. It's not, it's not just like, Oh, Darth Maul got chopped in half at the end and you nothing ever heard about it it again. Yeah. It was very brave. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it also probably allowed Harrison Ford to fully embrace Han Solo for that last, that final time, which I think is why we get such a good performance out of it because he, he kind of, he finally gets what he wanted. Yeah. He, yeah. He's wanted out of this for a while. Do you guys, the, the rumor is that in return of the Jedi, he was supposed to blow up the death star and then not escape. That was kind of the rumor. Mm -hmm. Would you guys have preferred that Han Solo die in return of the Jedi or was this, this is how it should happen. I I think with hindsight being 2020 and knowing where it went, I think this is a more satisfying and more like uh, from, from a narrative standpoint, a better way to do it because Mm -hmm. it, it then extends the, the story further and gives us more to like dive into. Yeah. All right. So Han Solo's dead. Um, The one we didn't see until the very end, my second favorite scene in the movie, the ending, whenever we see Luke Skywalker and then, you know, cut to cut to end title credits. How did that scene affect you guys? Pretty, pretty excited for what's to come. That's all I can really say is like, I liked it. Yeah, it, it's kind of it was just funny because I felt like it could have ended before. Like we didn't even really need to see Luke mm-hmm. in this film. I like, you know, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you see um they're they're basically got a plan to go rescue Han Solo from Jabba the Hutt, and you see the last scene is the Millennium Falcon leaving the medical frigate, and they're kind of just watching as it yeah, happens, yeah. and then you cut to credits. Mm-hmm. I almost would have liked that better. It felt like it was like they were going to do that once Chewie and Reagan and the Millennium Falcon and they fly off. That could have been the end of the film, mm-hmm. and then it's like, 
Oh, but wait, we're going to show you this. The, but I, go ahead. The, the, I think people needed that emotional catharsis after yeah, Han dying. Because yeah. I, I talked to Chris about beforehand, people applauded the introduction of all the principles, including C-3PO and R2-D2. However, Luke's was a little bit more understated because I, I really do think that there was kind of a communal mourning yeah. still happening. And that's, what, again, uh, yes, I'm glad that we saw Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it, was, it was great to know they found him. That was the whole purpose of the film. Right. It was driving everyone. Mm-hmm. And so to see him, see what he actually looks like, his appearance, knowing that he's in isolation, I, I liked that. But then also I, I felt like it played out a little too long. <laughs> I, I wish that they would have just cut as soon as kind of like he turned, revealed himself, maybe took off his, his hood. With his Terminator hand. Yeah. 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 That was cool. Yeah, actually. absolutely. Yeah. I, is it just me or whenever you see him with R2-D2 in that like sort of flashback scene, it felt like his arm was cut off farther down than initially. Uh, like, I, wasn't he just cut off at the wrist? Maybe he had gangrene. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe what so. happened. Well, but I mean, when they, they showed him, you know, in the in Empire, when he gave him a new arm and he was uh-huh. doing this. Oh, yeah, was you're, the, you're right. Yeah, there, was, there was that thing. I in think the, they had it. Okay. Here, so maybe, yeah, maybe they chopped him off the elbow to, yeah. to make a, that's the only unit they had. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'll say to like counter your thinking, like maybe, uh, maybe hold that off. I think this does give an opportunity. I don't know if they'll do it, but this does give an opportunity to kind of, uh, we see Ray go and meet with Luke Skywalker and then we can enter sort of like uh, to just compare back to the original trilogy, sort of like between Dagobah Luke in, um, empire to Dagobah Luke in Jedi. Jedi. There's a huge leap there. And so maybe, you know, we get that jump in, in time. We, I mean, I could easily see it coming in and she's really like refining her training at that point. Right. Um, which would be like, you would need that to happen here rather than start it off. So if we're not having much training already, she was able to, you know, yeah, that's okay. Hold her own. Can we, one of the few things that I really like, I was a little, I don't know about was her fighting Kylo Ren. Right. Like, I don't. I, she and, was way too experienced at that point to be beating him. It, it, it was there. There was that. There was also. I feel like I know we needed to know how powerful Kylo Ren was, but I felt like we kind of. I mean, because when he's introduced and he stops that blaster laser, like oh man, um, we've never seen that before. That it's was almost. It's but it's getting to the point of then whenever he gets in hand to hand combat with someone, like my feeling starts to lean towards like, well, how could they even have a chance? Right. And maybe it's because he's so un, you know, he's so unfocused. Like sometimes he, mm-hmm. he can control it. Sometimes he can't sort of a thing, but it, it did like, that was the one moment where I was like, I don't, I don't know if this would play out the way that it did. Um, it, it was a little like, I forgive it, but at the same time, I, I wish it could have been a little, a little, it could have played out a little nicer. And I thought through that as well, actually on the drive over, I was thinking through that, um, and what was interesting is that, okay, we talk about Kylo's trying so desperately to be Darth Vader, mm-hmm. but he's immature. He's not, up until now, he's really not had an adversary, right? He's yeah. not had to do like the saber duels with anyone. So everyone that sees him, they're already just, he's just terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And he's able to use the force and not actually have to use, like go into physical combat, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe he's not really that, impressive of us it could be well actually and she was beating the hell out of finn early on with the staff so actually you're exactly right yeah so it's kind of cool to think that um that just kind of goes to show me that we think that he's all you know powerful Mm -hmm. and a sith lord he's just trying to be 
he does have, he's able to use the force, but she is too. So that they kind of counter, counter each other. Um, I'll, I'll buy so that. then, so then that way now it's really about their combat and she's had to survive on her own. Yeah. You see the scene in the Anjaku where she's protecting herself and she can hold her own. I mean, yeah, no, that so. I, I didn't have any problem with, with that, like that, Oh, she can wield a lightsaber. It was, oh, yeah, it yeah. was more like the, the strength of his power is the, the thing that I agree. more like, yeah. I kind of, I, I'm not really sure, but it's also, you're right. It is the difference between like being able to like, if you're, firing a gun, going to the range and, and hitting a mark and then being in live combat. And, you know, it's, right. it's that sort of um, very different scenarios. And so then you've got to be, you know, on your feet thing. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll buy that as a, as a, that, that helps yeah. ease my, my worry. Well, Chris, you started this uh, review off by asking, how do I feel about Disney owning Lucasfilms? And I think a good way to end it would be to say that I personally, I think you guys as well are very optimistic. I will say this though. If an Indiana Jones six Shia LaBeouf kills Indiana Jones, then uh, then all bets are off, and I'm absolutely done with this entire partnership. Hunter, there's I, I think the way that we have to end this review is is the way that you always like to. What was your favorite scene here? It, again, once again, uh, my favorite scene was also the one that was most traumatizing. If a movie can do this to you, then you know boffo to the movie, and that was of course on Solo getting killed. It was well done. It could have been cheesy. It could have been. Uh, exaggerated any number of things it was pulled off marvelously and it you know kicked my ass so good <laughs> nice job what about you jason uh you know there were there were a lot of great uh visual scenes that i enjoyed i would say the first when you see the resistance fly in to maz Kanata's mm-hmm. castle and we see that one shot following poe in the air mm-hmm. and he's just trashing tie fighters and yeah. you know even ground the, troopers. the dog fighting stuff was great here. that was amazing and that was exciting mm-hmm. um and you kind of when when you saw finn he's like you know yelling and like whoa like i think a lot of fans felt that way when they saw that so emotionally i liked kind of that that battle there um i think you know i think that's uh, that scene you, you referenced with han solo and his his death uh i thought that was pre- i thought it was pretty good and i i think also chewbacca's uh knowing their partnership and their friendship mm-hmm. and his, his reaction to it. And then seeing Ray and Finn watch that play out as well. Like that felt more emotional because mm-hmm. of that, not just because he died and he fell, you know? Yeah, fell exactly. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'm, I'm going to go really weird with mine <laughs> and it's, it just brought me so much joy and I wasn't expecting it. Uh, when, C-3PO was first introduced like so there's there's this weird like almost jump scare sort of thing where he like he pops in and then he's he's talking to Han Solo and then he's like oh I'm sorry it's C-3PO you might not you might not recognize me because of the, the red, arm. red arm yeah and I don't know why but that really like I love I love the way that they they use because it felt like it felt like traditional C-3PO like he was he was kind of a terrible character in the prequels like just sort of a, a Jar Jar light and it felt more like his goofy, like, um, you know, trying best intentions, but like being a little bit of a stick up the ass protocol droid. So yeah, exactly. Right. There can be a good goofy character and a bad goofy character. Sometimes it can be the same character depending on how it's played. And that was of course, yeah, it, just, thing. it just really tickled me. Yeah. So Chris, whenever, uh, I go to see this movie again, what should I be drinking? And most importantly, can it be picked up at a cantina on Tatooine? Oh boy. Um, 
You know, well, I, I'm not sure. I'd, I'd have to call the canteen and, and find out. But I've got, I've actually got two recommendations for you here, and they both come from Anthem Brewing Company in Oklahoma City. So I've got a light choice and a dark choice for you because you know, depending on depending on where you lean. I see what you did there. Uh, so for the Jedi Knights, I've got King of Carrot Flowers, which is a Belgian strong pale ale that, like the Jedi, is in rare supply these days. Uh, it was made in limited supply earlier this year, and uh, a great. You know how I like my barrel aged beers. Uh, this one is aged in rum barrels, uh, which gives it a distinct sweetness and that boozy bite that. You know, I, I talk about a lot with, with these barrel aged, uh, uh, brews. So if you can, I, you know, I haven't seen this one in a little while, but if you can get your hands on it, definitely, uh, definitely a nice, sweet little treat for the Sith Lords out there. I've got something, uh, rich and dark picked out for you. And so you don't feel cheated. This too has spent some time in an oak cask. Uh, it's Anthem's Brandy Barrel Aruberos. Uh, they took their standard stout and turned it into a decadent dessert beer with a complex taste that's chocolatey and a little peaty and, of course, finishes with that slight dry brandy note. Uh, and with an ABV clocking in at 8.5%, the alcoholic force is strong with this one. So pick your side and pick up one of these brews. That's King of Carrot Flowers and Brandy Barrel Aruberos from Anthem Brewing Company. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we loved it and we bet you'll love it, too. Star Wars The Force Awakens is currently playing across the galaxy at a multiplex, well, not so far, far away. We know you've seen it, so why not tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Or better yet, use the Force and telepathically communicate your review to Chris and I. Actually, I'd just rather you do it to Hunter, please. Well, stick around, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back after the break with your favorite Christmas films in just five words. Plus, our special edition, special features discussion, Examining the Empire. Santa Claus, Santa Claus, it's Christmas Day. And the turtle doves are on their way. And I can We'll get to our special features discussion in just a moment, but first, a few weeks back, I put out a call on Facebook asking for your favorite Christmas movies and why you loved them in just five words. Now, Hunter, I see here you participated, but completely neglected the five-word rule. It's not so much that I neglected it, I think it's more that I defied it, because as you probably know by now, Midnight Warriors, I am such a contrarian that I will stick it to the man, even if in this case I am the man. (laughs) 
Okay, and and what was your? Uh, what was it your was pick? a good choice. It was just about you know seventeen words long. It was a mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it, but a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. Which is of course from Batman Returns. Of course, uh, no, a good a good quote just completely defies what what we're going for. But that's all right. Uh, but we did have a few listeners who actually did follow the directions, and let's see what they had to say. Phil here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, had perhaps the most unorthodox pick with the wrestler Goldberg's Santa Slay. His reason? Domestic Santa delivers yucks and death. Which, I, from what I understand, Santa Slay is, you know, it's S-L-A-Y. It's Santa going around murdering people. I Actually, uh, true believers, Santa Slay is also the name of the movie within a movie in Ernest Saves Christmas. Oh, wow. Unfortunately, no one picked that in this competition. This is true. But I guess there's still time. Mark in New York said his favorite Christmas flick is A Muppet Christmas Carol. His reason? Gonzo, Rizzo, and Michael Caine. You know, Hunter, that sounds like some pretty tight logic. It's a shame A Muppet Christmas Carol is one of my personal war crimes. I would actually say that that might transcend a war crime because the thing about it is a Muppet Christmas Carol would be essential and then a Uh Michael Caine as Scrooge. And yet in this picture, you have both. So it's really like the perfect Christmas Carol. So I, I've got a couple of days before Christmas. Do I need to catch up with this bef- beforehand? Honestly, I would be fine if we just stopped this right now and went and watched <laughs> Muppet Christmas Carol, and then I'll just recite it through the entire way through. <laughs> great, great. Uh, Jake and Baton Rouge chose a Christmas story accompanied by the film's five most famous words, you'll shoot your eye out. And finally, longtime listener Christopher in Brooklyn called into the bright red telephone with five words for his favorite Christmas movie, Frank Capra's classic, It's a Wonderful Life. This Christopher in Brooklyn, baby. It was all a dream. You know, Chris, every time you make a Biggie Smalls joke, an angel gets capped in the ass. <laughs> well, I mean, by that rate, we've only capped a couple, but... Yes, only a couple of angels have been capped, And, so. and it's it's been a long while. What was that? Uh, maybe... That was back a couple of months after Babadook, because it was a Babadook it joke. Was, it was a Babadook. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, so... Yeah, still um, have to sleep with the nightlight on, by the way, but yeah. that's another story. Well, Christopher, thank you for your call, and thanks to all our other listeners for writing in. And now, let's get to our special features topic, Examining the Empire. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, 1977, set on a dreary desert planet poisoned by decadence, stagflation, and disco music, there arose a bearded young prophet, clad in oversized spectacles and ill-fitting flannel. Using the force of escapist fantasy, George Lucas slayed the sarlacc of 70s-era solipsism and cynicism with a simple yet profound story of good and evil, saving our nation's soul and resurrecting our sense of purpose. As the Washington Post put it in 1983, Star Wars, quote, helped close some of the psychological wounds left by the war in Vietnam. It reflected politically uncomplicated yearnings to be in the right, to fight on the side of justice against tyranny, end quote. It really is this simple. Star Wars gave America and the world a new hope. Yet in the 35 years since Star Wars premiered, the Empire struck back, succumbing to the phantom menace of crass commercialization. Star Wars was a triumph of creativity, but it spawned an attack of the clones, inspiring a popular culture guided not by imagination, but regurgitation. Sequels, prequels, reboots, and remakes. Making movies for merchandising. Product placement over plot. Familiar franchises frozen in carbonite and revived year after year after year. Nostalgia is no longer a feeling. It's a genre. For good and ill, Star Wars helped change not only the entertainment America makes, but the way America makes and consumes entertainment. It even changed its creator, from bearded prophet to myopic multi-billionaire. 
Ironically, the man who invented modern geek culture has the most contentious relationship of any creator with his fan base. So what is the legacy of Star Wars, both the franchise and its universe? Is it a force for good in motion pictures and popular culture? Or does it represent the dark side of the cultural force? Somewhere in between, perhaps, the answer lies. After all, only the Sith deal in absolutes. Today we will discuss the legacy of Star Wars during Examining the Empire. So let's start here, gentlemen. George Lucas. Good or evil? Jedi Master or Sith Lord? Jason, as our guest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the, the big question to you first. I'd say good. We wouldn't have Star Wars without George Lucas. And it wouldn't, I mean, again, like we kind of talked about before, you know, some, some of his choices and, you know, dialogue and such weren't the best in directing weren't the best, but. <laughs> Hardly qualifies for making, for someone being evil, just doing bad dialogue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have had a struggle with George Lucas. I mean, as I, I think Hunter and I in particular, we're, we're a bit younger than you, Jason. Like we came in it at a, a weird place where like Star Wars had been around for years by the time, you know, we, we kind of picked it up. And I, I guess mm-hmm. maybe for you, I mean, you were very young when I, Jedi came out. I was two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he looks younger than we do folks, by the way, <laughs> but he's, he's much older. Uh, but you know, so really those, those prequels were the first thing that I really got to enjoy. And it felt like such a bittersweet sort of like returning to star Wars. And then like, what am I looking at sort mm-hmm. of thing? Um, and so I've, I've really struggled with it a lot. And I'm at this point at a place where, uh, I'm, I'm going to say good because just like you said, without it, there's, there's just, you cannot compete with, um, what, he creatively made, even when he's borrowing from, you know, borrowing from Kurosawa, borrowing from Flash Gordon series, all of that stuff. Like he still built a lot. And, and if he was just making homage, it wouldn't have all worked. So I'm going to, I'm going to say good there, but I can definitely dish a little bit of a dirt about him too, if, if you want. Um, well, I'm going to throw this out. He ultimately wanted to make something that could be appreciated by children and young people, you know, all ages. However, I didn't know this until I started reading more about it is Star Wars was originally happened because he wasn't able to do Apocalypse Now or Apocalypse Now took forever. He was originally slated to direct that. So (laughs) he was kind of in a Vietnam frame of mind. And so originally the Empire was supposed to represent the Um, United States and then the rebels were supposed to represent uh, the Viet Cong. And that seems a bit of a stretch to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, even, in the even, final, in the final form. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because it, it doesn't feel like he's trying to make any sort of overt commentary no. in as, or, it, or this may be the one, well, maybe not the one circumstance, but this may be one of those circumstances wherever a director's storytelling incompetence wound up being, you know, be, wound up <laughs> making the better film. Cause had he made this purposefully and, and outlandishly a mm-hmm. Vietnam metaphor, there's no Star Wars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it, but it's it's so counter to like I I hadn't heard the apocalypse now thing. I had heard the the Vietnam comparison thing. Like it's so counter to what apocalypse now is. Apocalypse now is all about. I mean, especially coming from uh Heart of Darkness as a source. You know, that's all about like the unknowing and the the vagueness and it can't be much more literally black and white than Star Wars. You know, you've got the light side and, and you've got the dark side and it's, you know, it's back to having cowboy hats with the, you know, the black hats are the criminals or the bad guys. Like it's, it's that cut and dry and 
simple. Well, and, and yes and no, because Jason, you'll be able to speak to this better than I can, I think, is the um, the dark side, it's called dark, it's not called the evil side. Is right. the dark side really evil, in, at least in the expanded universe? Uh, or is it just a yin and yang kind of thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the Empire is separate from what yeah. the what the Sith, you know, it, it kind of equated to government and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimately, you know, however you see government in your life, I mean, it's kind of the same way. I mean, they, they have gone through and they've, you know, tried to, uh, dominate systems. systems Yeah. Well, or, or control them, I guess. Um, so yes, yes and no, but I, that's, that's kind of how I, I I see it as the empire is, it's supposed to be evil, but. They're blowing up planets. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I guess on that's the, evil. On the flip side, yeah, that, that would probably qualify. But on the flip side, we rag on Kevin Smith a lot, but he did point out that the Rebel Alliance did wind up killing a lot of innocent contractors this when they true. blew up uh, the Death Star. But um, an argument has been made that at no point in time did Darth Vader ever say, you know what, Luke, join me and we're going to be really rich and we're going to have, you know, women galore and all that. He said, we're going to bring order to the galaxy. So that is a noble ambition. Mm -hmm. Do you think then that, and then not to give too much credit to the prequel trilogy, but the prequel trilogy was implying that the Senate was no longer functioning. So I I guess, like you said a second ago, Jason, is it really does stand, it's trying to find a balance between too much control and then too much uh, kind of chaos the anarchy from too many people in charge mm-hmm. and so where people fall on that does that sound like a pretty i mean i good I, dividing I, line i like that idea of you know because with okay so if we go down your road of like join me and we'll bring we'll bring order to all of it um there's a lot that you could read into that as far as like vader was not powerful enough to overthrow the emperor who kind of Basically, I mean, if you really look at it, the emperor sold him, uh, you know, sold him one thing, which was like, you can save your wife. And then it didn't happen. And then he lost everything. He lost her. He lost his limbs. I mean, you can't hold it against the guy for being a little bitter. Sure. Um, so in in the like most optimistic viewpoint, like I could see a storyline where him and Luke come together and overthrow the emperor and then like try to do something with this large unwieldy. And, but that's, that's ultimately like a a whole nother thing is like, if you overthrow the emperor, then who's in control, then what happens? And, um, you know, if Darth Vader had lived or died, I feel like this first order, like is the ultimate place it's going to, I mean, the, you know, the empire was too big as it was too big to fail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Chris, I think you're uh, I think you're Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader thing. Sounds like a fanfic. Maybe you need to <laughs> join a Star Wars blog and type yeah. that up. Uh-huh. I'll put it on my tripod. Page. Yeah, perfect. But I think the irony of this series is that the original trilogy, which everyone has so much affection for, it's kind of Scythian in that it's dealing in absolutes. Like you said, it's good versus evil. Mm-hmm. Whereas the prequel trilogy, that's where everything get shades of gray and no one likes that series. But uh, it's only Scythian because in the prequel trilogy, they say only Siths deal in absolutes. Like that's that's a whole – I mean because you could also say like, oh, they don't really deal with Metachlorians at all in any of the other movies. Like it's uh, – I, I feel like it's almost self-fulfilling prophecy with uh, with the prequels where they 
they try to set up by trying to set up rules. They then like topple everything down. Um, and, and you could all, you could almost say the same thing with George though. Like the way that he, instead of saying like, I'm just going to let these films live as they are, he went back time and time again to make these special edition rehashes that he thought, you know, in, in his mind, it's like, I'm giving you a more clear vision of what I intended. But the fans didn't need that. They already loved it. And so you get you, you begin to like he's almost an Anakin Skywalker sort of figure where he's trying to be a savior, but he's actually doing more harm than he is good. And there, there's a whole you know convoluted thing there because, I mean, uh, there's I don't know the, the, the special edition, like just the psychology behind what he was trying to do with that. It makes me not so much hate him as much as like. <laughs> worry about him or or you know um there's there's something well then then let's ask this does we already asked is he good or evil it does george lucas like star wars i think he loves star wars but i think he has a different relationship with it than any of us do yeah uh he may not love it so much anymore <laughs> but uh yeah I, kind of going back i think he just as a person like he always seemed just there's a lot of stress with him trying to make the first three film, actually the mm-hmm. first film. Um, there were a lot of stresses and a lot of just things that was happening to him personally. And uh, he just didn't seem like in some of the behind the scenes footage and documentaries, he just seemed like not happy. Like he had this vision mm-hmm. and he did the best he could with it, with the resources he had. And then once it kind of picked up empire return of the Jedi, um, he was able to kind of do what he wanted to do. And then even more so go back to the prequels and really do whatever you want to do without anyone stopping him and saying, yes, George, this is going to be great. Well, do you think, so do you think this is an example of absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. He just, no one was saying no anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, I think you're going to find it hard for anyone to, to argue that. I, I feel yeah. like it's, it's one of those, like, um, just, I mean, particularly with the prequels, he shouldn't have been directing them. He shouldn't have been writing them. Like, I think he's a brilliant big picture. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is how everything fits together, but he's not great at the smaller intricate pieces. And if you, if you give him control to do whatever he wants, he gets so focused on the things that don't really matter that it then like just glosses over the things that do or the, the soul of the story. Um, in, in a way that just felt, you know, weird and plastic and not fun. Yeah. Well, and yeah, keyword, they're not fun. Uh, so this, the new Star Wars movie just came out. The way that the film making world kind of exists now, you cannot do original fantasy, original sci-fi. And if you do, it turns out to be Jupiter ascending and falls flat on its face. Do you think that's because of Star Wars, that Star Wars is just so big in the public imagination that even if it's not around people are going to compare your film to star Wars. And so you can never get off the ground, get off the ground. If it were, yes, exactly. If it were, um, I don't know. I, I think I never, I didn't see Jupiter sending, but from what I understand, it's not just a matter of audiences didn't show up. It's a matter of, it's sort of a mess as yeah. well. And I think with star Wars, there was just so much that came together at the right time at the right. I mean, I, I feel like it would have been hard for if star Wars hadn't been made in 1977 and he tried to make it in like 1985, I think it would have been very hard 
for that to happen. I mean, with we just a few episodes ago, we're talking about 70 cinema and sort of the, how it destroyed itself from the inside. Like he really used a specific time in filmmaking history to his advantage to get something that was weird and ambitious off the ground. And then luckily made a lot of really good business decisions Mm -hmm. so that he could then totally do it on his own from there. Well, then let me ask you this then. And as our listeners know, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't necessarily agree with these things. I'm just asking, but does it bother anyone that children of the seventies and eighties and the nineties had star Wars, but now new kids are being introduced to star Wars as opposed to having their own thing. Do you think, does anyone think that's a bad thing? Not really. I mean, what, what was there before? What was there for children of the sixties though? Like, I mean, it's, it's well, sort drugs, of, obviously it's, <laughs> that's it, all you need. Is, yeah, exactly. All you need is drugs and love. That takes you far, far away. I yes. mean, I, I, I think he sort of invented something that he wanted, you know, it was uh, the closest thing I think is maybe the, you know, serials from the forties and fifties that, um, that he would see. And, to answer your question, no. <laughs> well, what about you, Jason? Do you do you wish that your kids had kind of their own thing, or are you happy that it's that you're sharing your thing with them? So I'm I'm happy to be sharing it. I mean, it's great because I grew up with the original trilogy, and then you had my eh, my brother. You know, you kind of you had the prequels. It was a little disappointing, but it was still Star Wars. Like it was. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you just take out, like, just take the fun pieces out of that and enjoy it for what it is. Um, and then now, like, my kids, uh, my boys especially, but also my daughter, uh, she's only two and a half, but she can she can sing the uh, Imperial March, which is pretty awesome. And I bet she and I bet she could probably do music from Frozen too, which is less awesome. I imagine. we don't have Frozen in our house, okay. so <laughs> which I'm okay with. Uh, this type of Disney is what I prefer. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, they, they, I've introduced Star Wars to them, but I started with the original trilogy and they've, they've, they've loved it. And so it's really great to be able to, I'm actually taking them to see the film next weekend. And so I'm really excited to see with what they know. To see them cry. When- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know I'm going to traumatize yeah, them. Yeah, like me. And they're going to hate Star Wars. It's one of those things I was a grown man and I cried, so, you know, and whatever. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to see. Uh, what they think from their perspective, mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same thing if it was completely new and something else. Uh, I think you kind of have to carry on the the story um, from where it was before, and um, it's it's pretty amazing like how many generations Star Wars spans. Like in terms of my parents, myself, my children, mm-hmm. um, you know, even uh, grandparents too. Like it's 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 pretty phenomenal for what it is. So, yeah. And I, you know, I really think with, with this marriage with Disney now, like I have, I'm as optimistic as I possibly could be because it looks like they don't have any plans to like pull back. You know, it's, they've got between the anthology stuff and, and this, uh, continuing trilogy, like they've got quite a bit laid out ahead of us. I think what four or five movies at this point. And what's fascinating is they kind of have to, I shared a Hollywood reporter article on our Facebook page a while ago. And Bob Iker, CEO of Disney, had a lunch with J.J. Abrams, who was very uh, cordial, but he essentially said, I just paid $4 billion for this. <laughs> you know, get it right. Mm-hmm. So you look at uh, an organization like Disney, which uh, they own all of these different things, and I found this fascinating, is that even though Star Wars is getting ready to break every record known to man, uh, their stock's still dropping. 
because of ESPN. ESPN has lost something like 7 million subscribers in the past two years. Does it make you all nervous that Star Wars is not a franchise, it is an industry unto itself, and now Disney, because of elements in the other parts of their empire are failing, that they're going to be relying more and more on Star Wars? Does that make you all skeptical, or how do you feel about that? I I mean, as long as they... Manage in the way that they seem to be with this this first one. No, I'm I'm pretty happy. I mean, it's it's a quality control thing. Um, as long as it, you know, if it doesn't turn into like weird early '80s Disney cartoon, you know, sort of level of uh, of just not caring. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think we're in for some greatness. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's in good hands, and I'm I'm actually really excited about you know the the remaining two films of the trilogy, but also the anthology films that will be released. Um, the the anthology films really intrigue me. I mean, there's plenty to be nervous about, Yeah, but uh, I like, I think the idea of expanding beyond this one storyline, while, you know, I'm not tired of it by any means, but I also, the, you know, the universe is big enough to actually sustain that sort of stuff. And so those storyline already has, you know, in cartoons and, and comic books and other right. things. So, um, I'm I'm really excited to see that on the big screen. Well, as long as they don't have Chewbacca do a special report on Sports Center, I think we'll be all right then. <laughs> then we'll know that they've uh, jumped the shark. All right. Um, last question, because again, we can talk about Star Wars until the uh, end of the universe. Star Wars is very much deliberately borrowing from classics and mythology and things like that. So it's modernizing these classic ideas. Do you think we'd be better off if we taught those classic ideas instead of having to rely on something that's clearly there to make money for a corporation. I don't know. I, I mean, here's, here's my feeling on, on that is I can remember in, you know, middle school and high school sitting in English class and reading some of those classics and being like, ah, I don't care until like teacher would pop in a VHS tape with a star Wars scene on it or, or the Simpsons or so, you know, like mm-hmm. I think it is necessary to have that culturally currently relatable, you know, piece. There's there's a reason why you know they're considered classics, but it's it's not because the source is necessarily the thing that you have to go back to, but because it is enduring in so many forms. Exactly, it's evolving with the culture. And and, and so to the the question of like, well, it's it's feeding a corporation. I mean, there's no other way to do it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I I don't know how to how to really get into a discourse about about that because it's like, well. Get, show me a better way, and and sure, like yeah. I, I don't think we can kickstart a a, <laughs> exactly. a, star, a Star Wars. Movie. But if any film could, it would be Star Wars. Yeah. Um, okay, actually, this is more a Force Awakens question because we didn't discuss this. Did it bother you guys that there wasn't the 20th Century Fox fanfare? Of course, there wasn't going to be. But did you miss that? Jason and I talked about this before, like a, a couple weeks ago, yeah. and it it didn't. I mean, it was like Lucasfilm came up and my crowd like just started cheering. And so that sort of like took it over. But like to me and and Jason, you said this as well. Uh, like when I hear the 20th Century Fox fanfare, I think Star Wars like it. It it sets me in that mood, mm-hmm. like just because no matter what film's playing yeah, behind it. Yeah. It's just like I think I, I told you, like whenever I see the New Line logo fly in, I think Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, you know, it it's sad to see it not there. It's. I, I'm kind of I like the fact that Disney isn't up at the, the yeah, front either though. Yeah. Like I was sort of su- surprised by that, and and that we you know kept the the crawl intact and everything. I mean, it's it's sad to see it go, but just like Han Solo, uh, you know, it was necessary to keep moving on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Well, Midnight Warriors, we've talked ourselves silly, so we want to know what you think. Is George Lucas good or evil? And is J.J. Abrams a new hope or a phantom menace? Ooh. Well, let us know at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Stick around for our really rad recommendations. Coming up next. Recommendation time once again. It's uh, Christmas time, but we've also been talking about Star Wars. So, Hunter, I'm I'm curious where you're going to go. I I assume you know you being a classic guy. What do you got? Like White Christmas for us? Um, actually, I saw White Christmas. This might qualify as a war crime, but I saw it recently and not a fan. But wow. um, not a Christmas film. I'm instead going to recommend a picture that Chris kind of referenced a moment ago, and is is oftentimes stated in Star Wars lore is being the origin point of Star Wars, and that is Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress. Now, you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, Star Wars is a remake of The Hidden Fortress. Not true. It's not a it's not a one-to-run remake. There is some very similar shots and, and very similar characterizations, but at the same time, I truly believe that George Lucas is more trying to borrow from just the classic Campbellian mythology. That said, you're going to have a lot of fun watching Hidden Fortress and finding the things that George Lucas did grab from Star or did grab for Star Wars. Uh, in a nutshell, this is one of Kurosawa's understated masterpieces, and really what might have resurrected it in the popular consciousness is its connection to Star Wars. It concerns a older samurai taking a princess along with two bumbling oafs and trying to take her to the titular hidden fortress. And it's available on Hulu as part of their Criterion collection, and then also as well as uh, some several beautiful Criterion Blu-rays. So I'd recommend if you have not seen that picture, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's essential, and if you're just a, a film fan in general, uh, I would definitely recommend Hidden Fortress. Hunter, I will say just to play devil's advocate with this, um, while I agree A New Hope isn't a remake of Hidden Fortress, Lucas really downplays the what he borrowed from Hidden Fortress as well. Well, and he almost it's, he almost literally borrowed Toshiro Mifune. I think we posted that on our Facebook. Yeah. Is Toshiro Mifune was evidently originally asked to be both Obi Wan and Darth Vader. Not sure how I feel about that. It would have been a very different <laughs> would have, movie. Would have been a weird Darth Vader. I, I I will say this as well. I think, and I haven't gone to confirm this, but but I think the First Order logo. It's very similar to. I believe not to share Mifune's logo on his back, but the other guys, I can't remember um, the guys that they're running from in hidden fortress. So there might be a little bit of homage there as well. Uh, Jason, what do you have for us to recommend? Yeah. So uh, this is going to be star Wars centric, of course uh, more so. And since it's Christmas, the uh, star Wars holiday special. Oh, really? Marvelous. <laughs> and have you seen this front to back? I'm curious. <laughs> I have seen the first 
uh, minutes or so. That's all <laughs> that's you need the, to see. That intro, that intro is amazing. Oh my goodness. That's about all I could sit through yeah. too. Yeah. Obviously that's a, that's a joke. Yeah. Um, I don't even know if you can really, I it's, mean, it's, it's on YouTube. It is. It's, okay. It is. The okay. entire thing is on YouTube. It's and it's like an hour and a half. Yeah. It is like when they say Christmas special, they mean like seventies Christmas special. Yeah. Like they had an entire, the entire primetime block taken up by this thing. Yeah. Uh, so that is not my recommendation to be clear about that. Uh, but my recommendation would be, uh, the documentary. So when the, the star Wars trilogy was re-released in 2004 on DVD, the box set, it came with a documentary that was called empire of dreams. And it basically just kind of went through the history of, um, the, the original trilogy and how it was made and, and George Lucas and, um, kind of culturally what was going on. It kind of dives into that and how star Wars really was, it was successful because of, it was just kind of perfect timing. And a lot of things were just right. Um, stars aligned and, um, it's, it's very fascinating. It actually is two and a half hours. Um, it's also available on YouTube, um, the entire thing. And it's, there's a lot of great interviews, um, and great kind of behind the scenes, uh, footage. And, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a watch. And it's one of those where you can be working and kind of have it playing, Mm -hmm. you know, downsize and, uh, kind of multitask while you're doing it, but yeah, there's some really fascinating, unless you're a mechanic or a machinist or something <laughs> yeah. like that, then we do not recommend doing that. This is true. It's, and it is like, it's one of those, you know, behind the scenes talking head sort of thing that you get on a DVD and it's, it's better than you typically get. Yeah, though, I think it is because of the content and because of, but it, you know, it's, they're talking about, you know, they, they talk about, uh, George Lucas's struggle and, and even actors like kind of goofing off with him and not really, you know, liking to, you know, kind of trying to get his goat because, you know, he is kind of a, right. there was a little bit of friction there. And so they don't, they don't totally shy away from some of the darker elements of it too. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. a good pick. All right, Chris, I'm going to use the force to guess your pick. Okay. Frosty the snowman. Am I right? You Rankin Bass, Frosty the Snowman. You, you are incorrect. Um, I am going. I, so up until right now, I was unsure what I was going to go with, um, and I think just because of the it's the end of the year, and uh, this is a movie that I think if you haven't seen, you should see as a like conclusion to to the year. I'm, I'm going to recommend a, a movie that I actually recommended a couple weeks ago on Friday Featured Flicks, and it's Ex Machina. Um, it's now available streaming on Amazon Prime. And it's a great, like, still one of my favorite movies of the year. I saw it, you know, back in like April. And it's, it's a great, like, it's got actually sort of a 70s sci-fi slow burn feel to it. Basically only three characters. It's, uh, Oscar Isaac and Donnell Gleason, two of those three characters. And, um, it's a type of film that, you you watch through it, and if you like, I mean, it's definitely it's not going to be a mile a minute sort of uh, sci fi romp. It's it's a little bit slower and more methodical, but it's psychological, um, and sure. uh, yeah, all all about like the little minutia of um, of stuff, and it, it's ultimately about like AI, artificial intelligence, and um, the the many things that the many problems that that could. Uh, could create, but in a very like downplayed way. So if that sounds like the type of thing that you like, definitely recommend it, especially if you have Amazon prime. And uh, it's a type of movie that the, the way the characters are, are characterized, like you can really go back and watch it and it can be a different experience each time because the, the way each character uh, plays out. I mean, you can basically change in your mind and say, okay, this is going to be the protagonist this time I watch it. And it, it works that way. Like it, it really leaves it open to your interpretation of exactly like 
who is good, who is bad, um, which which is really fascinating. The type of type of film I enjoy. So that's uh, that's Ex Machina. Well, thank you very much to our guest Star Wars expert Jason Yon slash Yon Solo. Uh, where can people find your artwork or get in touch with you? Uh, best place to go is uh, in, invisibleelement.com. dot uh, com. There's I have some links there. Uh, that and then what we already mentioned before on Instagram, you'll see a lot of uh, you know some some Star Wars geek art. Um, but then also some other work, uh, that yeah. I do. That, I mean, well. especially that, that stuff from Inktober, um, really good. Like I'll, I'll put links to both of these in the, uh, in the show notes so people can, can find it. But, uh, yeah, the Instagram stuff, I mean, I, I think our fans are really going to just enjoy the, uh, the, the, the stuff that, that you're typically posting there. It's pretty well, good I stuff. So. Yeah, yeah so. They, they, we cannot, this is the ultimate really rad recommendation is uh, we can't uh, speak highly enough of what we've seen. So I appreciate once it. again, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. It was fun. And that's a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Check us out online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, weekly movie recommendations, and more. You can say hi to Hunter on Facebook or me on Twitter at WSAMPod. And if you've made it this far into the credits, let's face it. You should probably subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, why don't you write us a nice little review? It'll help us reach new listeners, and it'll make you feel awesome. Or if you're just a little Jawa who likes complaining about everything, well, then you can tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring the bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. Music on this week's show comes from Sam Means and the Whirlybirds. Find more at sammeansmusic.com and thewhirlybirds.com. Join us in another fortnight when we do our 2015 year in review. We'll pick our favorites, least favorites, all with a WSAM twist. Plus, we'll make our 2016 New Year's film resolutions. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll see you again next year. <laughs> <laughs>